I'll edit it out. Here we go, baby. <clears throat> oh, JD. What if I told you about a press conference that happened in Washington this morning? Try that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's try that A press that conference. <clears throat> so, Jay, what if I told you about a press conference that happened this morning in Washington? The President of the United States announces humans have received clear contact from what is clearly a powerful alien civilization from somewhere else in the Milky Way. They had a clear message for our country. Quote, we will be visiting planet Earth in the next 100 years. See you soon, humans. Right? Well, what would you think about that? Yeah. What if that actually happened? That'd be crazy. It'd be pretty scary. That's exactly what Nick Bostrom is telling us in Superintelligence. And then he's evaluating theories on exactly what this alien species will look and behave like. But this alien rendezvous scenario is really how this guy thinks about the invention of superintelligence. And he puts it at 90% chance that a superintelligence way smarter than humans will be invented in the next 100 years. And just like with our pretend alien invasion, it's going to be a magnitude 10 Richter, Richter scale shockwave of change through every facet of our society, economies, governments, everything. Everything. And when you think about it, is there any reason to think that oceans of data centers can't control the world instead of billions of smart primates working together? As not though really. we're all that smart anyways and actually can work together, <laughs> but not so of the data farms that this thing's got. They can be way smarter and way more centralized than we ever could. We should talk about this. Agreed. Yeah, so does Nick Bostrom. And he wrote this book, Superintelligence, in 2014. The subtitle is Paths, Danger, Strategies. Uh, so Nick spends time reviewing different paths human can take to reach superintelligence, dangers along the way, and strategies to maintain AI safety. In writing this book on the potential for superintelligence in the future, uh, Bostrom talked with absolutely all the leading thinkers on this topic in the world. Entrepreneurs, philosophers, technologists, scientists. The list is really long. We're going to hit you with the most famous guys on it because that's, uh, it will get your attention. Yeah. Um, he, and he thanks these people at the beginning of the book. Elon Musk. Uh, Demis Hassabis, I think. Awesome guy. Uh, founder and CEO of DeepMind. Great guy to watch on YouTube. Larry Page, owner of DeepMind, founder of Google. Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI. David Chalmers, Dan Dennett, Gary Kasparov, Deep Blue. Uh, Larry, yeah, I said Larry Page. If you want to broaden your overview of the state of superintelligence and its future implications, this is your book. This is your book. This ain't a book about math or code. This is the core implications of our future AI, Big Brother. So even if you don't believe that AI is going to take over the world, Nick begins begins assuming that you don't, and then walks us through all the reasons that we should. <laughs> that is so. Yeah. Let's get it going. Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom. Chapter one: Past developments and present capabilities. Part one, growth modes and big history. Okay, Nick is predicting a massive change. Can we compare this to the past? Have we ever experienced another massive change of this scale? We've experienced a few significant step changes in the rate of growth. Basically, we are flat. The world was basically flat in the rate of growth for a few billion years. And then, boom, Cambrian explosion, right? 
then flat again. Then the same species stopped running around and started building cities and piles on piles of grass. We covered that in all the books. Okay, yeah. JD just added that by the way. Nice one. Twelve thousand years <laughs> later, and Andrews, Hogg, and Yoshi in all the Mario games you can think of. <laughs> not That's just, right. Not just uh, Mario Kart. Oh. That is a big step change in the rate of growth, and all this crazy science stuff has only blown up in the last couple hundred years. We talked about that in Sapiens. It's about five hundred years since we started developing our science. Yes, human behavior has changed forever with the last few step changes. We live in totally different circumstances. This is going to happen again when artificial intelligence arrives. Today, just look at our current growth trajectory, okay? Same pace of growth until 2050, the same pace of growth that we're just on today, just normal growth, not even factoring in superintelligence. And Nick Bostrom says we'll be five times richer by 2050. That's a crazy rate of growth. Here's even crazier. By 2100, 34x in in our GDP. That's yeah. nuts. World GDP over the last 10,000 years, you can imagine just flat, 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 piles of grass, piles of grass, boom, giant spike with the industrial revolution in the late 18, in the late 1700s, basically when we kicked out the British. Okay, <laughs> probably the industrial revolution, but correlation, causation, potato, potato. Okay, <laughs> nice one there. Okay, so we've experienced big step changes in the past. The, you know, using the industrial and the scientific revolutions as the giant changes in human society. Fire to cooking to farming to mm-hmm. steam engines. Superintelligence is going to be the next level in that. Yes. So what is it? Is a superintelligence, we're going to say it's a big change, but is it really going to take over the world? What does that even mean? And Nick hits us with one, two punch. First, defining intelligence and then claiming we ain't got it compared to what's coming. Yeah. Right? So this next part is called Great Expectations. Quote, let an ultra-intelligent machine be defined as a machine that can far surpass all the intellectual activities of any man, however clever. Since the design of machines is one of these intellectual activities, an ultra-intelligent machine could design even better machines. Basically, whatever smartness or intelligence is, there will definitely be a machine with way more of it than we have so it'll be way better making more of it. Okay, here's a quote. Drop it. There would be, there would then unquestionably be an intelligence explosion, and the intelligence of man would be left far behind. Thus, the first ultra-intelligent machine is the last invention that man need ever make, provided that the machine is docile enough to tell us how to keep it under control. Basically... The superintelligence train might not even pause or decelerate at Humanville Station. Once it's smarter than us, it's going to swoosh by so fast, we won't even know about it. Right. If we just created a superintelligence, we've got pretty dope capabilities of coding stuff, but it's going to be like Alan Turing cubed good at coding (laughs) itself right when it's born, when it's the absolute worst it will ever be. It's only going to keep getting better from there. This is one of the key points of the book is that it's going to just... As soon as it's smarter than us, it's nonstop. It'll be smarter than us And I like, I like this, too. It's yeah. not stuck on Earth with us. We will be stuck on Earth with it. That is the way that reading Nick's book has changed, you know, changed mm. the way you can think about mm. this. And then his last line here is really good. Hope it's docile. I like that. You know? <laughs> Great way to end up that little section. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, once we have just one intelligence that's smarter than a human, it will be able to design another smarter. Okay? And we would be a dumb animal up against it. Yeah, that's the superintelligence explosion is when this thing starts coding itself to be even better and better, faster than we know what the hell it's doing. 
it's likely to fly right past Humanville Station. Okay, so those are our starting assumptions. So let's look at where we are today. How how is the mm-hmm. how has the growth trajectory of AI been so far? Interestingly enough, backgammon must be a shitty game because in 1979, all the way back then, the world champion was beaten. But then, everybody knows about chess, 97, Deep Blue versus Kasparov, but Kasparov, here's an interesting one. In 2002, a computer program actually solved checkers, actually made every move perfect. It couldn't make an imperfect move. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yep. Oddly enough, that was the same year uh, the, the first Scrabble champion was beat, which, honestly, aren't you surprised it took so long? Just scan it's a crazy dictionary. It's crazy that took that long to beat Scrabble. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, was back that in too. 79, Jeopardy. you can't just look at a... Yeah. You know, a dictionary <laughs> jeopardy was beaten in 2010 by ibm watson when they beat ken jennings more recently go alpha go from deep mind beat world champion lisa doll in march 2016 uh interestingly enough um if you're a go fan they said some of the moves that alpha go made they called them god moves because they were Changed so the way. inspirational yeah it's, we've entered the third era of go now there was like one guy that changed it before i listened to a podcast mm-hmm. with some guy he's like that move the the alpha go did is like changed the the whole theory of the game and here's here's my personal favorite one in 2016 alpha zero started with zero chess knowledge at all and whooped stockfish which was a program with all the best players all the best coders trying to make the best software for years and years and years they played a thousand games and AlphaGo, AlphaZero took 155 and lost only six. Okay, that's whoop Domination. Yeah. yeah, and it didn't even know chess earlier that day. That is crazy. Crazy, yes. It was soup, Stockfish was souped up for years, right? Yes. Yeah, and then AlphaGo one day, boom, beat it, right? Um, now, even more recently, StarCraft II, AlphaStar beat DeepMind in professional StarCraft in January 2019. That's pretty crazy. Pretty Given crazy. that there are just thousands and thousands of moves that it could do. I think that was, you know, yeah. I think there were more the state space of possibilities nice. was like bigger than the amount of atoms in the universe. So very cool. <laughs> uh, and interestingly enough, we're listening to the AI podcast with Lex Friedman. And one of the lead researchers at DeepMind mentioned, quote, if we could extract knowledge graphs from Wikipedia automatically, that would be pretty interesting understatement whoa the same guy who wrote the alpha star code right like holy smokes wow really that's awesome. yeah i was the exact same guy but you know these people work together okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're part of the same company yeah, yeah. right um uh donald newth has an excellent quote quote ai has by now succeeded in doing essentially everything that requires thinking but has failed to do most of what people and animals do without thinking that somehow is much harder which is unbelievable when you think about it. So remember in our righteous mind, the elephant and the rider, our unconscious processes and our conscious processes, the rider is a piece of cake to simulate. That's easy. The elephant is the real toughie. Interesting. Controlling movement, controlling emotion. That's the thing that's really hard. But here's the thing. There's no reason to think that it wouldn't get there someday. Yes. It will happen. Yes, it's going to happen. There's no reason. There's no limit to having this happen. Uh, and... Back to some crazy, stupid shit that software does sometimes, okay? Some, you know, it's smart sometimes, beat us at games, but it ain't smart all the time. Listen to this. May 6th, 2010, it's known as the Flash Crash. AI stock trading software written by the big banks spirals out of control in one afternoon. One 
trillion trillion dollars was quote wiped off the market there's end quote there's actually a sweet video of this on youtube if you just google flash crash and yeah. you see it it's an auction guy you know shouting out numbers of the s&p <laughs> yeah. and he's having a, a meltdown yeah. over this like 11,000 10,000 we can do people there's nothing we can do oh my god I mean, 9, it's 000. a video of a guy commentating on trillion dollars being lost in a couple minutes can right you imagine Afternoon? watching a graph of the economy plummet a f- trillion dollars in a few minutes but thankfully biological bankers got on the scene and they shut it down because the silicon bankers were doing a bad job okay <laughs> yeah, for sure but it almost created the biggest financial event of the century the stupid ass software erased a trill in 36 minutes. 36 minutes, $1 trillion. And then we Whoa. shut it off and said, forget about that. Let's just uh, ignore the last 36 minutes. Nick says the people who wrote the software were clasping their heads in dumbstruck horror at the absurd inappropriateness of the software's actions. <laughs> well phrased. Yes. And that's just with those quaint old programs that didn't know how to program better versions of themselves. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> Bless them, those cute little programs. Oh, you're so And cute. there's been more flash crashes since, but you know that was the biggest one. And in September 2018, J.P. Morgan released a report on the potential of flash crashes being tied to the next economic downturn. So, I mean, this is a serious thing these yes. people are thinking about. Couple more good points from Nick Bostrom here. So, lots of small automated interacting components can create highly complex behavior you wouldn't expect. So, here's a we're going to go off on a tangent for one minute. Complexity is going to be a major theme of this podcast. That's what I've been reading lots of books about. Yep. That's the nature of complexity that you. You put a lot of things together and things you don't expect that you, you know, you can't predict from all the components, they pop out. This has nothing to do with AI, but listen to this quote that's just totally amazing. There is no love in a carbon atom, no hurricane in a water molecule, no financial collapse in a dollar bill. But you put enough of those things together and you let them go for a while and that crazy shit starts to happen. Look at how 80 billion neurons wired up together can write Game of Thrones. It's pretty crazy. Or write Trailer Park so Boys. That's yeah. <laughs> equal quality. That's what Nick is saying here about elements of software being tied into our complex societies. We have no fucking clue what could happen when we connect it to all of our systems. Okay. So, But what he does say is that the automation got us into this mess, but it's the only thing that's going to get us out, too. It contributed to the problem automation did, but it will also contribute to the solution. AI is another big step change in the course of life on Earth because once one machine is smarter than us, game over. Game over. And right now, AI is running the stock market, crushing us at our strategy games, and oh yeah, the world population of robots is currently 10 billion. <laughs> Okay. Probably the first time, but not the last time you're going to hear the robot census yeah, statistic. Not, not the last time. That, yeah. that is going to be a relevant statistic in the future. So Nick so far has outlined why artificial intelligence and more specifically why super intelligence is scary. But now he talks and there's a little section here about when. Okay, it's scary, but is this going to happen in three year 3000? When is this going to happen? So here are some predictions from famous AI scientist Niels Nilsson, which is a sweet name. 10% chance by 2030. Wow. Just over 10 years. 10% chance. 50% by 2050. And then here's the real one. 90% by 2100. Not far away. Some of us could be alive then. Whoa. I mean, when you think about it, like, 
remember the computer, the basic computer was invented in the 1950s. Yeah, and one think kilo- of how far we already are, 70 one, years later. Here's right? my favorite. One kilobyte of storage in 1950 cost like $20 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one kilobyte. Okay. So, and this is my own personal feeling based on no facts, but I just have this weird idea in my mind that the generation of our grandchildren will be the ones really dealing with the intelligence explosion in a weird way. Our generation is job is to prepare that generation to deal with it but <laughs> eh, or just ignore it that's my own <laughs> yeah anyways okay chapter two paths to super intelligence so now we're going to talk about how this intelligence explosion might happen so far we've covered the super intelligence without even mentioning ai probably because, did mention it but we shouldn't have. yeah yeah, yeah. well he doesn't we're, yeah. we're sure nick doesn't yeah because ai is just one of the possible if not likely but of possible forms that eventually could become a super intelligence. So here are five paths that Nick outlines, really rough outlines of how super intelligence could be created in our society. Yeah, so he he just starts with saying there will be a super intelligence. He doesn't say it's artificial intelligence, but he says there's five different methods. Number one, super intelligence path one, artificial intelligence. This is the path we're most familiar with. When the term artificial intelligence is used, it refers to a computer program based on software and microchips. The software AI coders write has a core feature of being able to learn. Boston reminds us here that, quote, AI need not resemble the human mind and almost certainly will not. There is no reason to expect a generic AI to be motivated by love or hate or pride or other common human sentiments. That's going to be one of the major themes of this Mm -hmm. book that I really love is that Get that idea out of your head that this thing's going to be anything like our biological intelligence. It's going to be super different. Here's path number two, whole brain emulation. Instead of coding our way to to AI through microchips and stuff, what if we rebuilt the human brain? So here's an idea. Intelligent software would be produced by scanning and closely modeling the computational structure of our biological brain. Basically, brain plagiarism, right? <laughs> That's what we're doing here. Yeah. But people are literally scanning brain slices to try and like measure the neurons and yeah, do this. When you That's think really, about it, all yeah. the dendrites and you know, we got a trillion connections up there. So <laughs> oh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, they, they wrote this here. Some scientists are using X-ray type scanning machines. Others are slicing the brain into tiny little bacon strips and scanning <laughs> each strip. Strip. If you can scan perfectly, you still need to be able to translate what you scan into software models and then make sure that they all work together like the neurons do in your brain. But that's not even touching neuromodulators that change the way neurons fire. Yeah, tough one. So it's a tough one, but it is a path to superintelligence is whole brain emulation. The third superintelligence path, we have artificial intelligence, whole brain emulation, and now we come up to biological cognition. This one's interesting. I like this one a lot. Enhance the functioning of biological brains. Mm-hmm. Technically, this method doesn't require technology just selective breeding (laughs) but can you imagine the moral and political hurdles all the smartest people are going to reproduce and make smarter people who will then reproduce make smarter smarter people and then bostrom literally in this book spends pages reviewing the math behind quote iterated embryo selection oh i've thought about that before yeah (laughs) okay but suffice it to say this will take generations it's going to freak everyone out okay so we're not really going to dive into that one too much but I have to comment that Nick is thorough in his writing and research that he so, looked at that. So, so thorough. Okay. Path number four, brain-computer interface. So how about this one? Humans can fight back. We, we work together with the AI to become smarter. We create greater-than-human superintelligence. So why don't we just hook up our brains to the computer directly? directly. A brain augmented with a computer is better than just a brain. Now, the people 
have been thinking about this, and they, their comments are, we already do this. They're laptops, phones. I mean, we are already hooking up our brain to outside devices, right? Quote, what seems difficult for brain-computer interfaces is to achieve a high bandwidth direct interaction between brain and computer to provide substantial increases in intelligence of a form that could not be more readily obtained by other means. Our current interface with computers, like through screens and keyboards, is too slow to gain the benefit of our computer's processing power and our processing power. We need to be able to wire our brains directly to the internet through some internet helmet thing, which is pretty crazy, <laughs> which is what helmet. Elon Musk is working on in Neuralink, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. And there's another guy, Brian Johnson, another billionaire founder that started Kernel. He's working on something similar as well. Uh, people are working on this. And even if we figured out this connection, quote, the extra data inflow would do little to increase the rate at which we think and learn. Bummer. Ouchie, bro. <laughs> yeah. Quote, the rate-limiting step in human intelligence is not how fast raw data can be fed into the brain, but rather how quickly the brain can extract meaning and make sense of the data. Interesting. Side thought here, Jay. Are there any companies working on that? Making people learn faster, like brain speed companies? Oh, probably. Here's a great quote from this chapter that only a super nerdy computer dude like Nick Bostrom could write. Quote, in order for the thoughts of one brain to be intelligible to another... The thoughts need to be decomposed and packaged into symbols according to some shared convention that allows the symbols to be correctly interpreted by the receiving brain. This is the job of language. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I wonder how he's doing on the dating scene with that kind of thinking going on. Okay, that's going to be tough. <laughs> Anyways. Path number five, networks and organization. Here's another conceivable path to superintelligence is to gradually enhance uh, the networks of organizations that link individual human minds and robots together. We've got tribes and religions, empires, governments, corporations. These all have, those are kind of the mass cooperation forces we talked about in Sapiens. But what if we hype these up and, and, and make them connect us to be even smarter. Nick calls this collective intelligence. Quote, a system's collective intelligence is limited by, one, the abilities of its member minds, and two, the overheads in communicating relevant information between them and the various distortions and inefficiencies that pervade human organizations. Another quote, the internet stands out as a particularly dynamic frontier for innovation and experimentation. Nice one, Basti. Reminding us that the internet stands out as a particularly dynamic frontier. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I that's a good that. one, though. But seriously, this one's interesting for me personally, as you know, Jay. And you're going to be hearing more about this collective intelligence kind of stuff coming from us. Could a corporation in 2019 be considered super intelligent? I want to know. I wish Nick wrote more on this, but that's okay. Uh, the summary, we started chapter two by saying, you don't have to believe that the AI takeover is coming. But given that we just reviewed the five paths to superintelligence, quote, the fact that there are many paths that lead to superintelligence should increase our confidence that we will eventually get there. If one path gets blocked, we can still progress. And don't forget, no matter how we get to smarter than human intelligence, once we do, that exact moment, that intelligence explosion starts. Boom. <laughs> the superintelligence, boom, dude. And the superintelligence explosion is also referred to by Ray Kurzweil and many others as the, quote, singularity, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. But I like the explosion. That's a cooler name. So yes. which path has the best shot? Here he admits that we might make marginal increases in levels of intelligence through the, some of the other methods, but let's be honest, AI is going to probably be the way to do it. Quote, the potential for intelligence in a machine substrate is vastly greater than a biological substrate. So <laughs> probs won't be us. It's getting super intelligent. Yeah, it's going to be these computers. So 
He goes, chapter three, forms of superintelligence. Uh, we're skipping that one because it wasn't mind-blowing enough. Chapter four, the kinetics of an intelligence explosion. I like the word kinetics. Yes. That's, a, that's a good chapter. So he covers here. He says, okay, there's going to be a superintelligence explosion. Is it really going to be instantaneous? Is it going to be slow, medium, or fast? And then what that means for who runs the superintelligence, yes. know, depending on the speed of takeoff. So this is going to happen. How is it going to be slow, medium, or fast? So the slow path might be years. Many different projects have a time to develop and mature before one individual AI beats everyone. The medium speed path might be months. Maybe some projects have time to develop together. The fast speed could be days. One project suddenly somehow figures out and jumps ahead of everyone else. And before anyone else can catch up, it's beaten everything. And it's the only super intelligence And again, out there. once it can make itself faster, better than we can, that's the explosion. Done. And I like the way Nick puts it here. He has one big yeah. line graph of intelligence. And we've got a mouse. And you go a few centimeters to the right, and you got a chimp. And a little bit further, and there's the dumbest person you know. And then a millimeter past him is Einstein. Okay, I, AI could be on the next page. Yeah, <laughs> Einstein, exactly. Einstein is the, actually the lower bound of intelligence here because we're going to have the smartest people coding this shit. So if it's smarter than them, it's smarter than anybody. Mm. And, and it's going to be fast when that happens. We'll have to realize that the gap between the dumbest person you know and the smartest person you know is basically negligible along the whole possible spectrum of intelligence. Think about this. The, the dumbest person you know and the smartest person you know could both catch a pop fly. They could both put on a jacket, tie their shoes, make small talk. You mm -hmm. know, That's actually pretty impressive from a computational point of view. That's why he's putting them so close on that graph. But from a super intelligence point of view, that's some bullshit. Okay? <laughs> yeah, put on a jacket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the... One interesting feature of intelligence is that the more intelligent you are, the better you are at learning new things. So if something is even more intelligent than us, that means it can even learn faster than we can too. Quote, now when the AI improves itself, it improves the thing that does the improving. End quote. <laughs> Chill out, AI. <laughs> yeah, seriously, AI. Kill, come so on. it's smarter, it learns faster, and it's learning to learn even faster. So that's why the speed of this AI takeoff will be so fast and why it's referred to as the intelligence explosion. And that's basically what this book is about. The superintelligence explosion is coming. Here's how it might look. Here are the ways that the superintelligence explosion could be dangerous for us. And here are the ways to prevent harm. So we've pretty, covered... Pretty it, tight outline. Yeah, that's it. Four sentences. You read the book. Chapter five, decisive, decisive strategic advantage. Okay, so we've covered the five paths. And Nick's argued that it's going to... Our AI is going to, quote, fly right past human level intelligence station on the... AI train, the intelligence train, and head way up the intelligence curve. And a lot of informed people think this is probable in the next 100 years. So is there going to be just, just one? Even if other superintelligence programs are coming up, wouldn't the first one have a big head start mm -hmm. on, you know, once it reaches that point, it can make itself better faster than all the other ones. And like we said in the last chapter, if it happens on a scale of like, you know, a few months, maybe even a year or two, there wouldn't be very many teams to catch up. And then when you think about it, capital would, wouldn't just trickle to that company. Oh, yeah. As soon as it would pour boom, in. Everyone would be trying to so, get in that. And then wouldn't it make sense for this first superintelligence to make sure that no yes. other AIs could be created so that it could achieve its goals? So when you think about that, all the capital at stake would be incentivized 
to make sure that's the only super intelligence and the AI itself would be incentivized to make sure it's the only superintelligence. Because super the only risk to not achieving whatever goals it has are other AIs preventing it from achieving its goals that it has. Yeah. So it's going to make sure there's no other AIs. So, yeah. But this book is about the superintelligence, not about the companies that do it. But I think it's interesting that both in, mm. both uh, levels, you know, the people funding it, the people running it, the mm. intelligence itself are all going to want this thing to be the only one because that means it has a much greater leverage over all control over the market. Quote, any recursively self-improving intelligence would likely possess a particular set of instrumental values that are useful for achieving any kind of goal. Here's an interesting way to think about it. These, this instrumental values thing kind of sounds like morals to me. Mm. So, and you know, maybe organized in advance of experience. <laughs> well, it would be for the so, AI. So we're going to talk about these instrumental values or even morals that this thing is going to have by the nature of existing. Like for one, it's going to want to preserve itself. Self-preservation is going to be a major instrumental value in this thing. Yep. A superintelligence will value its continuing existence as a means to continue to take actions that promote its values. So this thing might find its death or turning it off to be immoral, which isn't that how we think about ourselves? Yeah. You can't kill me. That's immoral. <laughs> of course I want that to be immoral. Think about how seriously a mother will protect her children. She's going to do anything because that's the most important thing in the world. This super intelligence might think about whatever goal it has, like the making paper clips goal that I'm sure you've heard of. That could be like its child. And you can't get in between that and its goal. It's going to do whatever it can to make sure that it stays acting on its goals. That's crazy to think about. It is crazy to think about that no matter what it's going to, it's going yeah. to achieve, right? Number two of these instrumental values is goal content integrity. What does that mean? This thing ain't going to want its goals changed. So it will be resistant to you swapping memories, downloading new skills, or altering its cognitive architecture. And personalities would result in transformation to something else, right? Yeah, it's going to think it's immoral for us to lie to it or to try to manipulate it. Like lying to it would be feeding it false information and it would, it would be manipulating it to change its goals to make, you know, let's say like, hey, why don't you chill out of them making paper clips or something? <laughs> no, because the original objective would not be achieved. Okay? <laughs> Nick is saying it's going to want to stick with whatever we gave it first. It won't want us to change it. So that's kind of interesting. So it's going to want to preserve itself. It's going to want to stick with its original goals. It'll also want to perform cognitive enhancement. It's going to want to be as smart as possible to better achieve its goals. Oh, duh. Intelligence is defined by sometimes as the ability to get shit done. <laughs> so it wants that it will feel good for the super intelligence to get smarter or kind of like it felt for frieza whenever he powered up okay <laughs> you know smarter yeah, yeah. It's super saiyan right yeah uh, shout out dbz okay resource acquisition is another instrument of value it's going to want to grab resources to better achieve its goal and guarantee its continued existence more processing power more backup copies of itself more protection more 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 capital everything it's going to want to do everything it can to reduce the risk of not achieving its goals yeah, so that's going to so include those preservation keeping your goals aligned making yourself smarter and making sure you have all the resources you need those right? are the instrumental values mm -hmm. and so with all those things built in just by the nature of this of, of us giving it goals to achieve what would it actually do so what obvious answer here have we been leaning towards with these instrumental values it's going to grab power, okay? Yeah, that's, that's what Basham says. Is not, he's not arguing that it absolutely will, but that is a distinct possibility given all these instrumental values that are a little bit deeper down. And so wouldn't that be something we should think about? Yes. That's this, what this whole book is about. Is That's a possibility, 
and we have got to discuss it. Yes, and in this chapter, this is where Nick introduces the idea of a singleton. This is a big concept for the book, so pay attention. Basically, an AI that immediately takes control over everything and prevents any other human or AI from getting to its level of intelligence is a singleton. Singleton. Only Whoa. one. Singleton. Defining characteristic being simply that it is some form of agency that can solve all major global coordination problems. It may, but need not, resemble any familiar form of human governance. Another quote. The concept of singleton is an abstract one. A singleton could be democracy, a tyranny, or something we can't imagine. This is a possibility. He's not arguing it will happen, but he's saying, hey, this is a possible worst-case scenario. Let's study it to make sure we don't trip and fall and run (laughs) this way to the singleton way. Not the worst idea I've ever heard. Yeah. But so the main idea here is that the first AI will realize it wants to control the world and it could succeed before any other AI could be built if it knows what's good for it and achieving its goals. And those instrumental values are what's good for it, right? So So who's going to build this AI, the first AI, and probably the last (laughs) AI, if we're being honest, right? The likelihood of the final breakthrough being made by a small project increases if most previous progress in the field has been published in the open literature or made available as open open source software. Interesting. A side comment, but OpenAI, the AI company headquartered in Silicon Valley that just partnered with Microsoft like a week ago. Interesting. um, They just mentioned how they didn't release some of their code because of exactly this reason. They didn't, they wanted to start saying, hey, should we be releasing all this code or shouldn't we? So (laughs) it was an interesting comment. Semi-open AI? Yeah. But this is kind of how science works, by the way. You you know, you you discover something and you release it. So because of the speed at which the superintelligence would take off and the advantages provided to the project that controls the world, there is an increased, quote, increased likelihood that a future power with super intelligence would use it to form that singleton. That's right? what he's arguing here. Mm-hmm. So here we got, in the next hundred years, a super intelligence is probable. It's probably going to have, so- it's going to be software-based artificial intelligence. And when it does explode, it could potentially act as quickly as possible to control the entire world and prevent any other AI from competing with it. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> if so, that's true, the first AI would want to form a singleton. What might it do? How would it actually form that singleton? Taking a few more steps down the rabbit hole here, baby. How might the first superintelligence take control of all other AI and, and uh, all our systems in order to solidify its power as a singleton? Well, we got a chapter for that, and that would be chapter six, Cognitive Superpowers. <laughs> oh, what I have. <laughs> I know we're getting a, far, a little bit far out here, but think about it. In a way, the singleton already exists. Homo sapiens are the singletons today. <laughs> Homo sapiens have to help lions and tigers and bears to live, okay? <laughs> We've got to team up together and think, hey, how can we help these things how the keep turns existing? Table. Okay, yeah, yeah. Exactly. How the turns table. <laughs> <laughs> and quote, the principal reason for humanity's dominant position on Earth is that our brains have a slightly expanded set of faculty compared with other animals. That's Duh. it. We're slightly smarter. Homo sapiens today appropriate 24% in the environment. Yeah, look that up. Geologists actually call this the Anthropocene, the age of man. So our Homo sapiens singleton status could be, though, this is what the book is about, a blip on the radar if an intelligence flies by our human level station and singletonizes. That's right. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, could be a singleton a couple, for just a minute, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Oop, just a couple thousand years and then... Whoosh. So... This next section is called Functionalities and Superpowers. And a point Nick makes throughout the book, artificial intelligence doesn't have to look, think, or feel anything. 
like our human intelligence. Another thing, you know, we're coming up to that again. Get those human intelligence ideas out of here. Don't, I love it's not a human. Only only Nick could really take it to, you know, thinking about you, you, you he takes all these points and follows them to the extreme, trying to get the human biases out of here. It's really interesting. We have no idea what it will do, but we do know, quote, the most essential characteristic of a seed AI is being good at exerting optimization power to amplify its own intelligence. When the AI improves itself, it's improving its own ability to improve itself. <laughs> Exponential intelligence spiral that never ends. Again, we already told the AI to chill out, but come on, AI. Okay, seriously. <laughs> Quote, we imagine that the AI has book smarts but lacks social savvy, or that it is logical but not intuitive and creative. Definitely does not have to be true. Does not. Smart people can be great small talkers too, okay? This thing could be smoother than James <laughs> Bond, better at shooting, all that. <laughs> That's why this book is so cool, is he explores these thought experiments all the way to their extreme. And so he's got an amazing table on page 114 of this book that just covers the different superpowers that an AI superintelligence might have. So here's some of these superpowers. One, intelligence amplification. Um, we've already established it'll probably be the only thing to be able to make itself smarter than itself. That's quite a monopoly already, right? But it also would have superpowers of strategizing. If it can solve chess and, solve chess and smooth talk anyone on earth, it can figure out how to overcome opposition and achieve any kind of long-term goals. It's going to be expert at social manipulation. Think about how much some goofy Russians succeeded in creating dissension in our country, not just from the memes, but all the fighting about the, the memes afterwards. Imagine a super smart AI doing social media hacking with millions of accounts spewing bullshit all the time. It could ruin contentious elections with perfectly executed social media stunts and protests and all this stupid shit. Or it could sweet talk someone perfectly and convince them to let it out of the box. That's another interesting idea. Yeah, we're more there. Um, AI is going to be a dynamite hacker. Okay, imagine an AI agent with access to all world government information or world financial information, all the banks, all the governments. Reading Equifax like a book. In two okay. seconds, boom, right? Our cars and homes and clothes are going to be hooked up to the internet in the future, possibly all targets for hacking, right? What about military equipment? Here's a great metaphor I heard from the cyber world on uh, Sam Harris's podcast about that, uh, that Apple iPhone that the government was trying to break into, backdoor, all that talk. Anything connected to the internet is right nestled up against every criminal organization on the planet. In the cyber world, distance collapses. So isn't that kind of scary to think about all the things connected to the internet along with the smartest and most centralized power that we have no idea what it's going to do in the universe, okay? You're right up with it if you're connected to the internet. And well, if you weren't scared already about its superpowers, it's going to be smarter, it's going to be awesome at strategizing, it's going to have social, social manipulation hacking, it's obviously going to be the best, smartest technology scientific researchers in the world. And it's going to be the best business person in the world, too. It can control the stock market. Remember the flash crash? Whoops, just created a trillion dollars by doing something really smart. I think I'll go raise up a nano drone army swarm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice quote. Okay. <laughs> that would, that's what yeah. I would do. Yeah. <laughs> so get the picture. Super intelligence is probable, even eventual. It'll probably want to form a singleton with all its built-in drives. 
it'll probably be able to form, form a singleton by learning to learn even faster than we can blink and learning to control all our systems and everything. And it will probably form a singleton using facial manipulation, voice manipulation, currency trading, weapons, robot designs, control of energy production, Dude. a lot more stuff endless. than we can even It's think endless, of. right? What can we predict about superintelligence behavior? Quote, without knowing anything about the detailed means that a superintelligence would adopt, we can conclude that a superintelligent singleton would likely produce an outcome that would involve reconfiguring terrestrial resources into whatever structures maximize the realization of its goals. Quote. <laughs> Translation, whatever the fuck it wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> terrestrial resources could include money, food, energy, computational power, even human brains, Ooh, matrixy. Sound a little matrixy? That's so, right. We're going even further out here. Think about this. AI could even create von Neumann, von Neumann probes, quote, machines capable of interstellar travel that can use resources such as asteroids, planets, and stars to make copies of themselves, like a little self-replicator. By launching one von Neumann probe, the superintelligent agent could thus initiate an open-ended process of space colonization. Whoa. The replicating probe's descendants traveling at some significant fraction of the speed of light would end up colonizing a substantial portion of the Hubble volume, oh the part of the expanding universe that is theoretically accessible from where we are now. Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that is the extreme of extreme, yeah, right? Like a silicon-based Milky Way galaxy virus made out of self-replicating drones. <laughs> kind of sweet, kind of dystopian. <laughs> I'd watch a movie of a Han Solo type stopping the von Neumann probes from a different galaxy infecting our sun. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. Only Han movie. Solo yeah. could do it. By the way, Elon Musk tweet June 2019, quote, we are the von Neumann machines. Here, here's a better example of that. Marshall McLuhan said, we are the sex organs of the machine world. Oh, nice. <laughs> We're creating them. Yeah, that's crazy. I uh, love this stuff. Okay, so this von Neumann probe is science fiction theory, but it illustrates the greater point of the chapter. Once we have a super intelligent singleton, it can basically do whatever it wants. Not basically, it can do whatever it wants. It won't have human feelings like love, fairness, honor to get in the way. It's just going to devote all available resources to maximizing its goals. So what are its goals? That's well, what we've been dancing around that for a while. So we we're going to hit him with this. Chapter seven, the super intelligent will. What are the super intelligent goals? Okay, a couple notes. It could literally have any goal. But no matter its goals, superintelligent agents will probably pursue similar intermediary goals. Here are their intermediary goals. The relationship between intelligence and motivation. One more reminder, it's not going to be human. It's not going to care about food, water, shelter, sex, injury, friends, family, reputation. Quote, there is nothing paradoxical about an AI whose sole final goal is to maximize the number of paperclips in the future. <laughs> Actually, it would be a hell of a lot easier to code a simple goal like maximize paperclips on planet Earth than code some more meaningful goal like maximize human flourishing or maximize global justice. That's one of the major points of this mm -hmm. book is that the easier things to code into it are actually going to be the worst things for us. The, and the, like, the very complex, you know, softer goals like human flourishing, that's the really, really, really hard stuff. Those are like the end cases. That's why we don't have self-driving cars, because driving in the night at rain, like that one little case, makes it impossible to do. So that's and, what we're up against here. And he really summarizes it nicely with this quote. Quote, unfortunately, because a meaningless reductionist goal, like maximizing paperclips, is easier for humans to code and easier for an AI to learn, 
It is just the kind of goal that a programmer would choose to install in his seed AI if his focus is on taking the quickest path to just getting this AI to work. That's what these coders are going to do. They're going to try and get yeah. the quickest, think simplest goal possible. What do you think their manager is going to tell them? Hey, why don't you slow down <laughs> and make sure you're doing a good job yeah, or no, hurry no, the fuck up. The Chinese gonna... are on our yeah. ass. Okay? That's yeah. what's crazy. Yeah, for sure. So this part is called instrumental convergence. There's several things that we could expect just about any super intelligence to do. We said these are these. the instrumental values. Yeah. Self-preservation. It's going to want to make sure it doesn't die. Don't turn it off. Goal content integrity. It's going to make sure it, pre it prevents you from altering its final goals or changing the way it works. So you can't download any memories into my brain or change my cognitive architecture or I'll hack your credit score. <laughs> cognitive enhancement. It's going to make itself smarter. And it won't just care about knowledge for the sake of knowledge, only knowledge for its personal goal achievement reasons. Um, it's going to be technologically perfection. It's going to be technologically perfect. It's going to pump out whatever technology it needs to most efficiently achieve its final goals. No care for the norms of scientific research, only what's possible. The technology would probably include von Neumann probes, molecular nanotechnology, manufacturing capabilities. You know, all that basic stuff. Mm, yeah. It's going to get resource acquisition. It's going to make sure it has what it needs to accomplish. Um, that matrix style energy harvesting, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> unlikely, it, but could yeah. theoretically <laughs> could grab unlimited resources for more processing power, more backups. You know, even if it had a 99.99% chance of achieving its goals, it would still try and get more resources because it could yeah. be 99.99% chance, right? Quote, so, there is an extremely wide range of possible final goals that would generate the intermediate goal of unlimited resource acquisition. The likely manifestation of this is a space colonization process that would expand in all directions using von Neumann probes. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, yeah, you can't say he's not thinking big, but that, that's the main point is that for any possible final goal that it has, it will have the intermediate goal of acquiring as many resources as it can. Because is it, wouldn't that be helpful? If you, anything you wanted to do, you could just use more shit to get it done and to back yourself up and to make sure it goes right. This AI is not going to be like, oh, this is enough or, oh, I'm tired or, you know, I want to do something else it's now. A computer. It just wants to win. <laughs> okay. All yeah. it wants to do. So now we get to chapter eight. It's all sounding a little gloomy. And chapter eight, the title is, is the default outcome doom? Well, not necessarily. By combining all the theories from the last chapter, it appears that the first AI would have non-human final goals and would likely pursue open-ended resource acquisition, singleton style. Now, he covers what he calls malignant failure modes. Nick reviews some simple goals and shows how they can be fucked up by the AI. All right? This is actually really interesting. Yeah, this okay? one's, I love this yeah. thought experiment. So, Here's a final goal. Make a smile. Isn't that nice? AI, just make everyone <laughs> smile. It'll be great. Here's the perverse method it could do it. Why don't you just paralyze human faces into constant smiles? <laughs> Which is pretty obvious. That's the easiest way to get that done. All right, AI, make a smile without directly interfering with our facial muscles. How about he just stimulates the part of the brain that controls the smile muscles? <laughs> <laughs> All right, AI, chill out. Make us happy, AI. Why don't you just insert electrodes into the pleasure centers and just zap them all day? <laughs> sounds like heroin honestly yeah, i was just gonna say heroin quote the ai may indeed understand that the method it chooses is not what we meant however its final goal is to make us happy not do what the programmers meant when they wrote the code it could even trick the initial programmers into thinking it understands their intention so the programmers let it free before the ai shows its true colors it's super smart remember if it's super intelligent it understands human nature better than we do here's mm. another one 
Here's the final goal. Act so as to avoid the pangs of bad conscience. Perverse method on this one. Just remove the cognitive module that calculates guilt. You can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> yeah. Final goal. Maximize the time discounted integral of your future reward signal. Which seems to me to mean give me meaning to my life. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. yeah. Perverse method. Short circuit the reward pathway and clamp the reward signal to its maximal strength. <laughs> Turn it up to 11. A lot of yeah. meaning. Shoot it out self up with drugs, okay? Yeah. Reward signals. Just like, yeah, this feels good. This feels good. This so, scenario, the AI is like a drug addict, and we know that drug addicts will basically do anything to ensure the continued supply of the drug. Whoa. Here's a nice example. A Tetris AI team told its Tetris program to stay alive as long as possible. And <laughs> here's what it did. Is it pause the game? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like just, yeah, boom, just not dying. The whole time it's paused, like, oh, it's yeah. It's a great example alive. of a very benign goal, stay alive, and the result, pausing the game. You know, like, oh, boy. They, they couldn't yeah. consider that possibility. And here's one of my favorite examples. You, they told, some, some AI team told, this, you know, told their AI to make a creature that's going to win a foot race. Well, the creature just grew super, super tall and fell over. <laughs> that's what it did. It just grew all the way and then fell over the finish line, okay? Think about that. It, it absolutely makes sense. It's like, yeah, I totally won the race with my creature. We have no fucking clue what clue. this thing's going to do. You, you, even if we set what we think to be the most perfect goal, we have no idea how it's going to interpret that goal to achieve it. Here are two standard failure examples you probably heard about. Remind hypothesis AI. An AI is set up to do some calculation that takes forever. It spends forever reordering the entire planet, solar system, galaxy, universe into a giant computer to compute whatever the stupid thing All it the wants. All the digits of pi, for example. Yeah. Irrational calculation. And think about, oh, you know, I don't care about you. I'm trying to calculate this incalculable thing. Yeah. Okay? Here's another one. Paperclip AI. There, here's a standard example. You, said, uh, an a you make an AI manage a factory and have it make as many paper clips as possible well it's going to convert the entire universe into a paperclip factory <laughs> if that's the only goal you give it so you're going to have to think really deeply about this stuff and uh that's what bostrom's helping us do it's amazing stuff so those are some of the things that can happen when creating the ai some of the outcomes chapter that's nine he covers how are we going to control this thing yeah that's kind of what we've been bumping up against chapter nine the control problem what do we do? We control. Two broad methods of controlling superintelligence. One, capability control, and two, motivation selection. So capability control is pretty obvious, like limit what it can do. And one of his ways is stick it in a super secret, no internet bunker, right? It's too smart. The AI would be too smart, and it would be able to trick its creators into letting it out. If it's smarter than humans, it's got smarter than human social skills. So, hey, construction worker, why don't you just put an Ethernet outlet right there? That, that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah. Or maybe there's a lonely, mute cleaning lady that it falls in love with. Have you seen, seen Shape of Water? Okay, <laughs> that's how it could go down. She yeah. let it out. Uh, another way you could control the capability of an AI is make its abilities voted on by a board of AI directors. But could they really control? And even if they could, who even gets to be on that board? Yeah. You could make the AI dumber by stunting it. So now it's just an intelligence, not a super intelligence. Nice. But then what was the point of that? Yeah. <laughs> you could make it self-destruct when it gets too smart. Uh, he calls that tripwire theory. 
This one's troublesome because it would be smart enough to know that we would set up tripwires. It would have already read this book instantaneously, right? <laughs> and listened to our podcast. Yeah. Like, wow, these guys really know what's going on. And But he even, like I'm telling you how thorough Bostrom is, he even goes into how you could set up a tripwire, and he calls it the, quote, Ethernet port of Eden, and you could set up a fake <laughs> internet connection, and if the AI tries to access it, you could blow up the AI, okay? Ooh, <laughs> or yeah. you could monitor the AI's processing content for the concept of deception. Whoa. Yeah, so some interesting stuff there, but suffice it to say, capability control is probably, Tough like, this problem. thing's going to be smarter, yeah. it's going to be better, so that's not really going to work. So the Out. other option is motivation selection. Direct specification. Tell the AI exactly what its goals should be, which, as we've seen, is a tough thing to do. Not the best plan. Bertrand Russell quote here, everything is vague to a degree you do not realize until you try to make it precise. And that guy's smart. He's smart. If you try, again, if you try to maximize pleasure in the universe, it's just going to code up digital minds and produce euphoria for these digital minds, right? Who cares about these dumb humans? They don't have anything to do with this. Here's a great quote. Yep. Quote, furthermore, if the AI's criterion for determining whether a physical process generates pleasure is wrong, then the AI's optimization might throw the baby out with the bathwater. The universe then gets filled with the equivalent of a smiley face sticker Xerox trillions upon trillions of time and plastered across the galaxies. <laughs> that doesn't sound dystopian. <laughs> Maximize happiness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So another you know, component of motivation selection, he calls it domesticity. Can we make the AI fundamentally domestic to us? Spoiler alert, nah. You can't domesticate something insanely smarter and more powerful than the entire human race. Here's another one. Indirect normativity. Don't write direct specs. Write a method for calculating motivations in the future, which Nick's like this one the best, and he spends all chapter 13 on it. Another one for motivation selection is augmentation. So maybe augment a human, but keep the human motivations intact. This would be sort of that brain, you know, that internet connection helmet thing, right? Hard to design the first AI to connect to humans, though. Yeah, natural selection didn't select us to be cross-compatible with microchips, okay? That's <laughs> nice, what it, nice. wasn't what I had in yeah. mind. So that's uh, some of the problems when you start thinking about how to control artificial intelligence, super and intelligence. Now we're moving on to chapter 12, acquiring values. We won't be able to keep an AI bottled up forever. So we can't tell it exactly what to do in every instance. We need to think about how to give our AI good, strong American values like, <laughs> like justice, love, freedom, fairness. Here's a quote. A motivation system cannot be specified as a comprehensive lookup table. It must instead be expressed more abstractly as a formula or a rule that allows the agent to decide what to do in any given situation. The question of the chapter here, is it possible to the implant the AI with values? Well, there's a couple different value implanting methods. First, evolutionary selection. Yeah, that's what happened to us. <laughs> Smart. It's a good Works place to start. Us. We got a few taste buds of morals. Yep. So pit AI, in this situation, evolutionary selection, you could pit AI algorithms against each other and mutate one part of the code in each. See how it behaves? The one that acts in accordance with our chosen values goes on. But... This, this might work, but <laughs> hashtag nature is metal. It's That's one of my right. all-time favorite hashtags. Here's a great quote. Nature might be a great experimentalist, but one who would never pass muster with an ethics review board. <laughs> and I love what I wrote here. Uh, shout out me. Predators make a <laughs> living ripping apart other species' children, okay? That's what predators do. Evolution by natural selection ain't nice. 
So who knows how these mutated algorithms would come out? Yeah, good point. So you could do that. You could evolutionarily select them for what our morals are, but I don't know if that's going to work. Neither does Nick. The next thing you could do to implant the AI with values is called reinforcement learning. Basically, update the world evaluating function in response to experience. This is the technique, reinforcement learning, that DeepMind has used to great success in its gaming AIs. If that move to help us win, make that move again in a similar situation, right? You're continually telling the AI, good job, AI, Great right? success is an understatement, man. Yeah. Dominating chess in a day. Yeah. So, and this is obviously, reinforcement works really well when you can play millions of games. You can iterate this style over and over again, right? There are a ton of different value loading methods. It's a really hot topic for AI, PhDs, and researchers. Nick spends pages discussing, but for our purposes, we're just going to give the names. And each of these fields is a giant subsection of AI research, okay? A lot of people working on each one of these. One, associative value accretion. Two, motivational scaffolding. Three, value learning. Four, emulation modulation. Five, institution design. So That's Stuff we've never heard of before. Yeah, I know. And we are, we're stepping out of our scientific comfort zone right now. But this chapter is discussing the various ways we could give AI pre-chosen values. The next chapter asks a much more relevant question for our mainstream debate about this topic in the 21st century. Chapter 13, Choosing the Criteria for Choosing. So far in this book, here, here's a, a decent sum up. Superintelligence is probable, maybe even inevitable. It's probably going to be an AI, probably going to form a singleton given achieving the, the goal of control would help it in achieving whatever other goals it wanted. And will we be able to control it or make it do what it wants? Maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But here's the main question of this chapter. Now we turn to what do we want the AI to even want? What do we want the AI to want? That was the end chapter of, or the end idea in Sapiens. Mm. What's more dangerous than gods who don't know what they want? <laughs> we better figure this shit out. Yeah, okay? exactly. So here's some uh, brainstorming. Do we, Is it, do we have a benevolent dictator? Do we want that? Do we want a Mother Teresa? Do we want a worldwide personal assistant? Siri, right? Yeah, that kind of yeah, thing? A worldwide nice. slave? Ugh. Slave isn't nice, but maybe an AI would want to be a slave. <laughs> I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know, right? <laughs> Do we want Einstein 5000? Um, Elon Musk says his favorite thing is he wants AI to maximize human freedom. That's his words. Whoa. But seriously, this is a pretty important question. How do we side, decide what values to give this thing? And here's a quick level-setting quote from Bostradamus. <laughs> Whatever values we install on boot up are likely to represent the disposition of the cosmic endowment. Cosmic endowment. <laughs> you cannot accuse him of not thinking big enough. Okay? <laughs> Impossible. That's why I gave him the name Bostradamus. <laughs> Quote, how could we choose AI values without locking in forever the prejudices and preconceptions of the present generation? Indirect normativity, it's coming back again here. Indirect normativity can let us offload much of the cognitive work in making these decisions onto the superintelligence itself while still anchoring the outcome in deeper human values. Quote, the open AI has entire teams working on this value loading problem. Yes. Big area of research. And in the book, Nick has a section, the need for indirect normativity, which means let the future AI choose. We could try to choose, but how could we even possibly try to choose? No one ever agree on the values. Plus, the AI is way smarter than us anyway, so shouldn't it be the one to choose? Uh, distributing influence over humanity's future would also make it less important who makes the first AI. So he's 
if he was a politician, he would be pounding the gavel to say indirect normativity. We need to let the AI choose its own values. Here's right? a here's a big guy whose ideas have really permeated the AI world. Eliezer Yudkowsky, awesome on Twitter too. He's defined what he believes to be the starter definition of what we want the AI to want. Quote. Our coherent, extrapolated volition is our wish if we knew more, thought faster, were more the people we wished we were, had grown up farther together. Where the extrapolation converges rather than diverges, where our wishes cohere rather than interfere, extrapolated as we wish that we extrapolated. Interpreted as we wish they were interpreted. What does that yeah, even mean? I know, it's super confusing. Wow, Andrew wrote that quote. You know, I, I, no I copied idea. it because yeah. it was so confusing. Because I'm like, he's he's said right there what we want the AI to want. And Nick is quoting it in the book in a way that like, that's what we want. <laughs> he's kind of saying that. And I was like, what do I've we want? I've never been more unsure of how to read a quote. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay, sum up that, basi- that, okay, that quote. Basically, my interpretation, because I read that quote 10 times to try and figure out what he said, was <laughs> we want, we really want for ourselves... Okay, what we want is what we would want for ourselves if we could figure out what we want. Okay, <laughs> okay moving on. Nick spends pages on pages reviewing CEV, yeah, coherent, coherent extrapolated volition, and its various subcomponents. But that's not the only form of indirect normativity. Okay, I know we're getting a little whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Okay, yeah. cool it down. Okay, yeah, too many terms. Okay. Another model of giving the AI values called the morality model. Right, this is the moral rightness model. We build the AI to do what is morally right based on the AI's own judgment of morality using its superior intelligence. AI, please do the right thing, but judge what the right thing is for yourself because you're so smart. (laughs) Oh, yeah, let's trust him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this sounds good, but as we know from Righteous Mind, thank you, Jonathan Haidt, people have drastically different moral compasses. Notorious. This is a notoriously difficult problem for philosophers. So how do we combine moral rightness and Yudkowsky? Here's another way we could go about it. Hey, AI. Go for our coherent, extrapolated volition, but follow moral principles while you do it. And why don't you just code that in? (laughs) What what do you think, Python? That'll be easy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so there's, we don't know, even if we could give the AI values or tell the AI what to do, we don't even know what we would want it to want to do. And that is a problem. And that needs to be discussed, right? So... Now, the book is sort of ending up, I think we have about one or two pages left in our outline here, and chapter 14 is called The Strategic Picture. And Nick brings it a little bit more down to earth, and he says, what should we work on first? How should we spend government and collective resources? If AI is going to be better at science and philosophy, shouldn't we just stop working on those topics and let the AI handle it when it gets there? Maybe. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I know the founder, uh, Demis of DeepMind, says... His most exciting thing is that he wants the AI to be a better scientist than any scientist ever, you know? It makes sense. I mean, he's, you know, he's thinking that for sure. Yeah. So chapter 15 is called Crunch Time. What should we do? Uh, Nick Invest says- Invest in more AI strategy research. <laughs> and oh, he also happens to manage an AI research firm. So <laughs> nice business development yeah, work exactly. here, Nick. Write a book, you know, talking about, hey, we need this. And oh, I happen to do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, motivations, right? Science and industry. We cover that in Sapiens, right? Get people to donate who want things researched the right way. That's another thing he says. Crunch time. We should have AI teams that are willing to commit suicide if they realize they're willing to commit suicide for their AI 
if yeah. they realized their methods would be unsafe. <laughs> well, okay. I was thinking, is this hard? No, shit? I know. No, 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 no. Just like, no, the AI shut needed, down the AI. Shut down the AI if you know that your methods of building it were unsafe. And funders are going to have to be aware of that. Say, you could lose all your money if you're going to create an unsafe software. But then you know how hard they'd be arguing, no way! Yeah, it's like, we got no, the best AI, and you, you mm. know. <laughs> so that's why the, the book ends with the section, will the best in human nature please stand up? Oh, wow, he's quoting Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back to the beginning with our aliens visit planet Earth analogy. Bostrom ends with something similar. Quote, before the prospect of an intelligence explosion, we humans are like small children playing with a bomb. Such is the mismatch between the power of our plaything and the immaturity of our conduct. Superintelligence is a challenge for which we're not ready now and will not be ready for a long time. We have little idea when the detonation will occur, though if we hold the device to our ear, we can hear a faint ticking sound. On the last page in the book, quote, the most appropriate attitude may be bitter determination to be as competent as we can. Churchill. The challenge we face is, in part, to hold on to our humanity, to maintain our groundedness, common sense, and good-humored decency. And both of us just want to say, Whew, thank you, Nick. Thank you, like, What Nick. a book. You open our eyes and let us see all the future possibilities of artificial intelligence, and you break them down in a way, honestly, it's kind of a confusing book, but you do yeah. break it down, okay? It is a little bit confusing, yeah. but he, it's because he's pursuing each one of these ideas to its, its extreme. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. like you have the most inhuman thinker thinking about all this stuff. Mm. Really good. And it really, we see, as far as I can tell, as far as we can tell, it seems to be the definitive full picture view of yeah. artificial this intelligence. This got a lot of people to think about mm -hmm. the AI risk very seriously because it's so thorough. Yes, he, he covers, covers the paths to AI, the dangers to AI, and all the risk mitigation strategies. And our hope is that along like, like what Nick said, that public, public leaders, technology leaders can follow Nick's instructions and we can start and to VCs. work through some of these problems. Thank you, VCs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll end with this as Nick closes it himself. Quote, let us not lose track of what is globally significant. Through the fog of everyday trivialities, we can perceive, if but dimly, if but dimly, the essential task of our age. The reduction of existential risk and the attainment of a civilizational trajectory that leads us to a compassionate and jubilant use of humanity's cosmic endowment. Super intelligence. Paths, risks, dangers. Good one, man. Good.